Amen. Amen. Why don't you grab a seat? It, uh, it is great to have you here this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Dean. One of the pastors here, and we are starting a, a, a new series as we lead up uh, to Easter in just a couple of weeks called Unexpected Easter. And, uh, and, you know, the thing about, you know, I guess who Jesus is and what he's done, and the thing about how he likes to work in our lives and just kind of the reality of, of who he is, uh, is it one of the key words you can attach to all of it is unexpected. Uh, he, Easter itself caught people so far off guard the, the, at the very beginning. There were so many things about it that were unexpected. And, and I want us this Easter to wrestle with kind of the, the un, what it looks like to follow Christ and the unexpected realities that that entails. Uh, expectations are a funny thing. When your expectations are not met, uh, whatever that situation, it could be quite a confronting experience. I can remember being in university, and one of my roommates and I, his parents, they were in town, and they were going to take us to lunch. They said, hey, why don't we go out to lunch? And we went to uh, a restaurant, it was a loose term there, a restaurant called Dairy Queen. And it is a place a little bit like McDonald's, but better ice cream and things like that. Home of these well-known ice cream treat back in the day. Anyway, uh, it's been copied more places, but called a blizzard. And so the blizzard was sort of like a McFlurry. You got ice cream, and then you mix something into it. And I ordered, uh, and they were taking us, treating us to lunch, which was an awesome thing. Yeah, I grabbed some ice cream too. So I ordered my, my favorite blizzard at the time, a Snickers blizzard. Uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. Everybody, you know, you stick some, some Snickers, you're talking. It's not just chocolate. It's nougat and nuts and caramel, all of it together. And now it's in that, it's in that you know, this blended up in this ice cream. Now, my friend's dad, uh, he, was, he was eating, uh, he had ordered these deep fried mushrooms. I think they may be called mushroom poppers. When you deep fry something, it becomes a popper, if you don't know that. And uh, so he had deep fried, anybody ever had deep fried mushrooms? No. The, all you got to know is, are mushrooms good? Yeah, is deep fried stuff good? Yeah, that's all you, so deep fried mushrooms, you never had them, delicious, it really doesn't matter, that's the thing, we can deep fry any, it does not matter what started, once you've deep fried it, it's delicious, and uh, so my friend's dad's eating his deep fried mushrooms, I'm eating my delicious Snickers, uh, Blizzard, I, I left the table for a minute, I went to get a napkin, I came back, and I sat down, my friend's dad at this point is, something's going on. I cannot tell. Uh, I don't know. He's, he's older. Is he having a heart attack? I'm not sure. His face is like red. And he's just kind of sitting there. And I don't know. So I go on. I, I grab my spoon. I'm looking down in that blizzard. And I'm just like, oh, this is going to be so good. Oh, there's like a, you know when you get a big chunk of something? I'm like, there's a big chunk of Snickers right there. This is going to be so good. I grab that big chunk of Snickers. I go to bite down. And instead of being confronted with Snickers, I bite into the softest, squishiest, grossest thing I can imagine. And I'm like biting into it. And all of a sudden, instead of the deliciousness of Snickers, my whole body is revolting. And going, what is this? And I'm like, oh, and I'm starting to gag. And now he just loses it laughing. My friend's dad is dying and cannot, crying, wiping his face, just laughing his head off as I am. Because while I was away, he took one of those deep fried mushrooms and stuck it in my blizzard. Yeah. Now, can I tell you, since that day, I have never had a Snickers blizzard again in my life. 
the experience, I don't know if you can imagine what that experience is like. I'm going, I'm expecting to bite into this delicious piece of Snickers. It's going to be kind of hard and strong and chalk. And instead, I bite into a soft, just gooey, gross, deep fried batter mushroom. And it was revolting. I couldn't eat mushrooms for years. I couldn't eat anything. I'm still in therapy to this day. But here's the thing. If you've ever had an experience where your expectation and what you were looking forward to and what you perceived was going to happen, it's kind of like if he had even told me, hey, I put a mushroom in there, I'd have been like, okay, let's try this and see. You know, when your expectation, it's, it's amazing what happens when you have one expectation and it is not only does it sometimes not get met but goes in a whole other direction, it can be one of the most kind of confronting, challenging moments you can experience. And here's the thing about uh, Easter and about following Christ. Now, uh, one, it, it is not it, it, like that in the sense of where it will leave you challenged. But can I tell you something? One of the, the realities we have to wrestle with is that there is a lot about who Jesus is and what he does. It does not always meet our expectations. And when we have our expectations calibrated a certain way and they don't get met, those can be some of the most challenging moments we experience. And we're going to look, as we come to Easter, uh, you know, we now live in, for many of us, we're familiar with Easter. We're familiar with Jesus going to the cross. We're familiar with the idea of him rising from the dead. This all seems normal to us. Some of us can be familiar with, I've been following Jesus for a long time. I'm sort of used to how he works in my life. Can I tell you something? I think Jesus never runs out of ways to surprise us. And we are going to wrestle with how unexpected the cross was. The resurrection was, and see what that speaks to us about what it looks like to follow Jesus today. We're going to look today, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 16. And in Matthew chapter 16, uh, what's happening at this point is we're actually going to pick up in one of the first points that Jesus begins to speak for the first time to his disciples about the cross and what was ahead for him. In the beginning of Matthew 16, earlier, to give us a little backdrop to where we're going to pick up, this is a chapter of scripture where the disciples have been following Jesus for a while, seen him do a lot of things, a lot of miracles, a lot of teaching, and they're starting to wrestle with the question of who he is. In fact, Jesus says, who do you, who do you guys think I am? Who do you hear people saying I am? Who do you think I am? And Peter, in this moment, uh, is Simon, this is the moment, Simon Peter, he speaks up and says, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You know, you're the Christ. And, uh, and, and Jesus says to him, you know what? Your name's going to be Peter now. You're going to be a rock. You've got that kind of belief in me that, you know, what you understand, you, I can build my church on, on you and on that confession. You're going to be the rock. So Peter has just kind of had one of the best moments of his life. I've got it. I know who Jesus is. I, I know he's the Son of God. And then immediately on the heels of that comes this conversation. So pick it up in uh, chapter 16 of Matthew, verse 21. It says, from that time on, immediately after that whole exchange, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day, be raised to life. And Peter took him aside at this point and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. 
But Jesus turned to Peter and said to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, merely human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. This exchange is really an, an incredible moment. Uh, it, it comes, Jesus, you know, just, just after Peter gets it. This is who you are. You're the son of God. And, and has kind of the best moment of his life probably where he gets the, the right answer. And Jesus says, you got it, you know. And I could build my church on you. And it couldn't get, you know, Peter's like, I just got it all figured out. I get it. Immediately after that, he's going to see his expectations get crushed right in front of him and completely turned upside down. You know what it says there? We go back in, in 21. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain he's got to go to Jerusalem. And, and the key words he starts to bring up, Jesus knew key words for them of what it means to be the Messiah are suffer, uh, killed, and then raised to life. Now, what you got to understand is Peter had a certain expectation of what the Messiah was going to look like, of what the Savior was going to be. And he imagined, and, and his expectation was that when the Messiah comes, as was common in his day, the Messiah would overthrow uh, the Romans who were, you know, oppressing Israel, and Israel would be restored to its glory. The kingdom, will, in an earthly sense, would be restored, the kingdom of Israel. This is Peter's expectation of what the Messiah is going to look like. And so here comes Jesus, and Peter's like, yep, you're it. And Peter's probably sitting there. I wonder if Peter as well, I feel like he probably tuned out the first, like, you know, it's like from that time on, Jesus begins to explain. I feel like the first 10 minutes, Peter would probably just sitting there glowing, just going like, I just nailed that. You know, when you're like so happy with yourself, you can't even listen to what's going on around you. Like, and you could forgive him if that was the case. But then all of a sudden, at some point, he kind of snaps to him. He's like, wait, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. Did you just say suffer? Uh, did you just say you're going to be killed? Did you just say, we're not having any of that. I sometimes wonder if Jesus, if Peter even heard Jesus talk about the whole raise to life thing, or if the suffering and being killed part was just so, you know, kind of confronting to him that he never even got past it to hear the rest of the story. In fact, we know that's probably some degree of truth to that, because none of them, they still were shocked and surprised at the end of it all. But... Here's, here's the thing that I think is uh, helpful for us to realize this. Jesus is going to help them see what it means to be the Messiah looks completely different than what they've expected. Uh, what, what they were expecting instead is going to actually be a way of suffering, of death, and ultimately of resurrection. It was off their radar. It was not what they were looking for. But that was what Jesus says the Messiah is going to do. And likewise, as he continues, what Jesus is going to say is that this is, in fact, not just a pattern for what the Messiah would do, but that this pattern of suffering, killed, raising life, suffering, death, resurrection is actually a pattern for all disciples who would come after him as well, which would have been even more confronting for them to hear. Do you know what's... Um, really challenging about expectations, particularly when it comes to following Christ, is that when, when we 
don't find our expectations fulfilled, if we hold to them too tightly, what it usually ends up yielding is that we end up off the path of following Christ that we wanted to be on. Peter is going to go in one moment from Jesus, you're the Messiah, uh, I can get the, the church can be built on me, to being called Satan a moment later. The high, talk about a high to a low. One minute, you're like, you, you, you can build the whole thing up. The next minute, get behind me, Satan. The next minute, he's, he's kind of, Jesus, like, you've, you, and some people see that expression, get behind me. You know, for someone to be a disciple of Christ is to be a follower of Christ, is to be behind them. And it's like Jesus is almost saying to Peter, get back behind me. You're not following me anymore. You want a different pathway. You want a different road. This is what the road and the pathway looks for the Messiah. And I want you to get back behind me. Follow me, Peter. Jesus says it looks a whole different. You know, I think for us as followers of Christ, one of the things that's so crucial to realize, okay, if this is what it looked like for Jesus, death, resurrection, uh, and this is what it's to some degree, he says this is actually what it looks like to them being my disciple, to follow me in this. One of the biggest challenges we have is sometimes we don't think about life and faith quite the same way that Jesus does. Jesus says to Peter, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of people, the things of man. He says, you don't, you're not looking at this from God's perspective. You're looking at this from a human perspective. Jesus says there is such a bigger perspective that, that there is with all of life. You see, Peter's worldview couldn't even account for the idea of death and resurrection and coming back to life. He was only thinking here and now. He was thinking about uh, how, how, what it would look like to overthrow the Romans, to have a, uh, the king, you know, Israel, a kingdom the way it once was. He wasn't thinking about the, the biggest picture of life. He didn't have a worldview that included eternity, if you will. Do you know, I think one of the challenges for us as we follow Jesus is that often what we want, what we think will happen when we follow him, we know he came to bring something, but what we gravitate towards, as Peter did, is towards a better life. We often think about, you know, if I follow Jesus, he's going to help me have a better life. For Peter, that better life looked a little bit like, you know, the Romans being gone and then being on top. And, I mean, who wouldn't argue? That certainly seems like better than feeling like you're being, a, a, you know, under the thumb of an oppressor. That would be a better life. But Jesus says, no, you're not thinking big enough. Because Jesus... What he's going to paint a picture of is that actually I didn't come just to bring you a better life. I didn't come just to make your life feel a little bit more comfortable or a little bit happier right here. And now Jesus says, I've come for a, a picture that is so much bigger than anything you can understand. He says, I've come for eternal life. Can I ask you this question? If you ever wrestle with your expectations of Jesus and what he should do in your life, does your worldview and your view of what it means to follow Jesus embrace an eternal perspective? Are you asking questions and wrestling with challenges, not from the perspective of Jesus, how can I have a better life now, but what does this look like in the light of eternity? And I would tell you, you know, no matter how much, and we feel like, you know, Jesus, surely what you want is for me to have a better life right here and right now. Can I tell you something? You will always find yourself feeling incredibly confronted when he starts to actually look at life from the biggest perspective of all. 
we sometimes think, you know, one of the phrases you hear, you know, I hear probably too much, and it probably doesn't make sense in our days, you know, like, surely God wants me to be happy. And so if God wants me to be happy, then surely X will happen, or Y should happen, or surely I should do this, because God wants me to be happy. Can I tell you something? God's greatest dream for your life is not that you be happy. It's not that I be happy. Because happiness is about a thing that's happening right here, right now, and if I get it, I'm happy. God's greatest dream for our life is that our, our lives would actually reflect all that he intends us to be. I, God, do you know this? God cares more that we become holy than he does we become happy. But that's sometimes a less fun process. Jesus, can't I just be happy? <laughs> God's perspective on our life is so much different. God thinks about our character, our integrity. God thinks about who we're becoming on the inside. God thinks about the, the impact and the legacy and the mark our lives leave. Sometimes all we can think about is I just want to be happy. But can I tell you something? Jesus just shatters those expectations left and right at times. Peter's like, come on, Jesus. Let's over. You be the king. No, no, no. We don't need to do the suffering thing. We don't need to do the death thing. And Jesus says, nah. Can I, you know, I think one of the reasons that... You know, one of the things you kind of see here and one of the reasons that uh, Peter kind of grasps at this, at this like, no, surely not, Jesus. And, and, and think about it for a moment. The kind of mindset uh, or the moment it would be like for Peter to actually say, surely not, Jesus. Like imagine what's going on in your heart and mind to correct someone you have just proclaimed is actually the long-awaited Messiah. And then in that moment, you're like, no, no, no. Messiah, but I think you're a little bit off on this. Surely not. You know, this is, this is what that moment looked like. But can I tell you, one of the reasons he was probably grasping for that, one of the things we hold in common with him, because if we're honest, anyone who's followed Jesus for any length of time has come to a point where you said, God, surely not. I've got a little bit better plan. We've all been there. And I think the reason we grasp in those moments sometimes, as Peter probably grasped in this moment, is it's almost like there is something, there's something inside of us that just wants to take a, a, a shortcut anywhere we can. You know, the nature of what Jesus said to Peter, you know, get behind me, Satan. For Jesus, the reason that it probably popped out so readily, because Jesus knew exactly the shortcut that Peter was proposing. And in fact, he'd heard that proposal once before from Satan himself. That Jesus, when he was tempted before his ministry went public, that Satan, one of the temptations he brought to him was, Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll put it all in your hands uh, if only you will bow to me right now. If you will shortcut the process, then Jesus, you can have all the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus, of course, flatly rejects that temptation. But one of the greatest temptations we all face is to look for shortcuts. Peter felt the same thing. He wanted the kingdom without the cross. He wanted the kingdom without the suffering, death, and resurrection. But what we see in this passage is God has actually woven this into how life itself works. And so can I tell you something? Our life of following Jesus... No matter how much we just want to get straight to the good stuff, there is a pattern of learning self-denial, suffering, following Christ, a death of sorts that we experience so that he can bring new life to us. 
In fact, that's why he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. This is kind of the the pattern of how life works. In fact, I want to just pick up on those words of Jesus when he starts to explain this and say, you know what? Not only is he going to go to the cross and die, uh, but he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses it will find it. Jesus says, not only is this going to be how it's going to work for Jesus, there's no shortcut. He's going to have to go through suffering, death, and resurrection. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you want to be my follower, you have to get used to this very same pattern that you deny yourself. Can I tell you something? Whenever you deny yourself, when you say, here's what I want, here's what myself longs for, here's what I'm looking for, it is almost like a death to yourself that just says, I want this, but I'm going to let go of it because God is asking me to. And when God asks us to turn away from our own selfish desires to take what's in his hand, Jesus says, if you do that, then you're going to find life. No matter how much you thought you were losing something, you're actually going to find it. This is kind of unexpected, but this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. That we have to be continually as well embracing this pattern of saying, am I willing to take up my cross and follow Jesus? You know, this phrase, take up the cross and follow me, you know, I think it's kind of helpful to realize this had a couple layers and still does of meaning. One was for these disciples, this was a literal what some of them would have to do. One day Peter was going to have to take up a cross and follow Jesus. He was going to have to be willing to lay down his literal very life and take up the cross and follow him. And likewise, it is a word to us, and for many believers around the world today, this is a literal word, that if you are going to follow Jesus, you have to be willing to do that. Now, we live in a time and space where the second layer is what tends to apply more in our lives from where we've been born, but that is this, that in our own hearts, there will be, we must deny ourselves and experience a death at times in order to experience the life that Jesus wants to give us. We have to do this in the first time we come to Christ and say, I'm letting go of my life, and I'm actually saying, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you take me. And then we can go through this pattern at times over and over again as Jesus calls us to deny ourselves so that he can give us new life within. This is not what we would expect, but you know what's amazing about it is it's where life is found. Do you know one of the, like, if you've ever thought this, a funny concept we have like that we, we talk about phrase, I, you know, acquired tastes. Like we tell one another at times, like, I know you don't like this, but you just have to have it a lot, and then you'll acquire the taste. I, I remember when I was early out of university, I was doing relief teaching. I'd be in different schools all the time around the city. Uh, and so I would, every day I'd go into a new school, and, and sure enough, the first thing teachers would always want to tell me about was where to find coffee. Now, at that point in my life, I didn't like coffee at all. I didn't, I had no interest in it. And, but every school I would go to, teachers, it wasn't just that they would tell me about the coffee. They would be more excited about that moment of telling me about the coffee than anything else they showed me. 
Here's your room. Here's the desk, the students. Uh, here's where you get the coffee. You're going to need that. Come, you know, here's. And they would get so excited. And if you've ever been around coffee drinkers and you don't drink coffee, you're like, what is wrong with you people? Like every time you talk about this drink, you light up like it's some kind of, you know, miracle thing. And you get so excited. And for everybody who does drink coffee, it's just like this celebration every time there's coffee. You know, you want to be the most loved person in your workplace. You bring free coffee. And all of a sudden, yes, you are the greatest. And people who love it. So passionate for it, think it's the greatest thing ever. And people who don't like it are just like, what is the big deal? And people are always like, what's an acquired taste, you know? And, and you're like, if I don't like it, why would I want to acquire it? <laughs> you ever have somebody who like keeps offering you a food and you're like, no, I just don't like it. It makes no sense to go, okay, well, if you'll just suffer through dislike of this food for a period of time, then one day, down the road, you will enjoy it. Trust me. You know, really? I think I'll just go without, you know? You know, it's amazing. It, it, here's the thing. We, we want Jesus sometimes following Jesus. We want it to be like, you know, there's certain tastes you don't have to acquire, you know? I mean, how many, like, and what's with that anyway? The tastes that you don't have to acquire are always whatever is bad for you. <laughs> You know, like a kid, you're trying, like, come on, no, you just got to try this vegetable seven times, 20 times, and what, I promise you'll like it eventually. No one ever says to their kid, look, this is a Happy Meal. You won't like it at first. <laughs> if we have one a couple times a week, maybe a few months from now, you'll enjoy this Happy Meal, you know? There's no acquiring. We want Jesus to be like a Happy Meal, like, boom, I follow him. Yes, awesome, happy, good. When Jesus is like, you want to... Find your life, you got to be willing to lose it to find it. Can I tell you something? Following Jesus, the, this is why it's sometimes unexpected, is because following Jesus is an acquired taste. There's things that feel like, what? You want me to give up what? You want me to give up this relationship? You want me to stop sleeping with my girlfriend? You want me to stop cheating on my taxes? You want me to start being more honest with it? Like, that doesn't feel good right now. And you're telling me that somehow I'll be happy when I start doing these things. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. But the more we lay down our lives and what we want and think we want to embrace the life Jesus has for us on the other side, it's like, wow, there's actually life there. Following Jesus, we wish it was like just, oh, this would be great straight off the bat, but it's an acquired taste. And, and you know what is amazing, though, about an acquired taste is any person who has ever acquired a taste, that's why the disconnect between once you've acquired and when you have it, because for people who acquire some of those fine tastes, those fine cheeses, those fine things in life, once you actually acquire it, you just go, man, I would never go back to a time I didn't like this flavor. But it's on the other side at times of a bit of pain. You know, I think the thing that I would just love for us to, to kind of take to heart today, you know, it, we're coming towards Easter. We're, we're thinking about the cross and the resurrection and all that happened in Christ. And can I tell you something? Uh, you know, it, we, we, it's so commonplace for us now. We're so used to it if we've been following Jesus for a while or even if you just absorbed it through culture. It's so commonplace that we almost lose the actual shock value of what happened here. And we almost lose this reality. We could be in danger if we know these verses well of losing that Jesus says, this is what it now looks like to be my follower. That you have to be willing to deny yourself to find life. 
You know, I want to leave you with one last picture of what I think this looks a bit like. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. You know, one of the great patriarchs in the Old Testament, fathers of the faith, Abraham, one of the well-known stories, if you've never heard it in, in summary, uh, I'll share it for you. But uh, one of the well-known stories of him was this Abraham. God had called him, had a, a plan for his life. He was going to be part of this whole Messiah story. And, and, and God had called him out of the land he was, took him somewhere new. And he blessed him and he prospered him and he, and he grew and he had, he had more cattle and he had grown in influence and in wealth. And all these things, and God had promised him a son, and God gives him this son that he promised to him, and he's so, uh, he's so excited in the joy because it's what he's longed for all his life. And now he's got this son, Isaac, and God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want you to, to sacrifice your son to me. I want you to lay him down. It's like God was saying to him, I want you to lose your life, this thing that is so at the very heart of who you are. And it's such a challenging story and confronting on so many levels because God is asking him to take the one thing that was absolutely most important to him in his life and to let go of it. And Abraham comes all the way to that point where he's willing and he lays him there and God, of course, stops him and provides another sacrifice before telling the, the sacrifice he would one day provide in Jesus. And, and God stops him and he says, you know, now I know that you, uh, there's nothing you'll withhold from me, not even your only son. Do you know what God has a way of doing uh, when it comes to, you know, losing our life? He has a way for every person and every single one of us of just kind of honing in on whatever it is that could take the place of God in your life and become most important above all else. And he has this way of honing in on it. And what he tells us is that if you will lose that, if you will be willing to give it up and to follow me, I know it will feel like you're losing everything that matters to you, the most important thing to you. I know it will feel like you're losing everything you want right now, but actually you will find life. And Abraham becomes, talk about a life. He becomes a father of the faith. His story goes out through the generations. The Messiah himself comes through his line. Imagine what would have happened if Abraham would have said, no, Lord, I'll give you everything else, but not this one thing. If he tried to hold his life, he would have lost it, but he lost his life and he found it. And can I tell you, for every one of us, this is why these verses are so challenging, I think, because for every one of us, it will look a little bit different. But for every one of us, God will come to us and say, you know, whatever that thing is you're holding on to, that whatever that thing is that you think, you know, if I could just have this, then I'll be okay, or then I'll be happy, or I'll be this or that. It's like God would say to us, no, would you just be willing to lose it? Because if you will just let go, and if you will just turn and follow me, you will find life. It's unexpected. It's not what we'd be Hoping for on the front end, we think it'd be a whole lot easier to just say, God, let's just make me happy now. This isn't what we'd expect, but on the other side of it is life like we've never known. You know, Abraham, he, he was a wealthy man. He had possessions. He had all kinds of things. He had influence. He owned a lot of things, but the, at that point in his life, there was only one thing that really owned him, and that was his son, and because that was the one thing he couldn't give up. But once he did, he was free, and he was free to enjoy all that God put in his hands. He'd found life. 
You know, I'm invite the team back up. We're going to sing together in a moment. But I want to encourage you as we start our road towards Easter. You know, this was the moment in the scriptures when, when Jesus begins to turn and take the road toward the cross. It's the moment when he first says to his disciples, this isn't going to play out. You've, you've figured it, you've got who I am, but it's not going to play out the way you expected. It's the moment he says to him, it's going to be a different road than what you're imagining. But he says to him, if you will be willing to lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. If you're willing to lay down your life and to follow me, you're going to find it. And in the end, on the other side of this, there's not a one of them who wasn't grateful that they did. And I want to encourage you, maybe if you've never actually made the fundamental choice in your life to say, you know what? It's no longer about me and about what I'm, I want, what I'm doing. It's about Jesus. I'm Jesus, I want to let go. I, I give you permission. You're the boss. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Lord means boss. You're in charge. I'll go where you say, do what you do. If you've never made that fundamental decision, you know, there is nothing greater than you can, that you can do. And to say, I'm, I'm going to lay down my life and follow Jesus. You don't have to have it all figured out. Peter sure didn't. But if you know enough to say, Jesus, I know I want to follow you, then you know enough to say, you know what? This is what I want my life to be about. If you've made that decision, you know, for every one of us, I think one of the things is Jesus will continually poke and prod and be at work in our lives to help us see the things that we think will bring us life, but that he's actually saying, I want you to lay that down. I want you to open your hand. I want you to turn from that or choose this so that we can follow him more fully. I want to encourage you this morning and, and over this week and in the weeks that come to Easter to maybe spend some time in prayer to reflect, to journal, to say, Lord, is there anywhere in my life that I'm holding on to something that you want me to let go of so we could, that I could lose my life to find it in you? In fact, why don't you just stand for a moment? I want to pray for us. You know, the whole idea of laying down our lives, of losing them, it's really, it's a call to surrender. It's a call to say, Jesus, I'm going to let go, and I want to surrender to you. And whether that's for the first time or whether there's something that you know he's speaking to you about today, something you know he's saying, hey, I want you to, I want you to turn from this or let go of that so that I can give you some life. I want to encourage you in a moment of prayer today to just say to him, Lord, whether it's what I'm expecting or not, no matter what, I want to follow you. I want to lay down my life. I want to go where you lead me. I want to take hold of the life that you offer. Lord, I want to pray for each one of us that we would know the leading of your spirit in these things. That, Lord, where there's places that you want to bring life and it, it feels a little bit painful at first, but, Lord, you know that on the other side is life. I pray that we would know the whisper and leading of your spirit. Lord, where there may be someone here and you're calling them to just begin to follow you or to follow you afresh, Lord, I pray they'd hear that whisper. And I pray they would take that step.
want to encourage you, if, that's, uh, if there's something you're laying down today or taking hold of, to just open your hands in front of you. And I want to pray that God would just take something, maybe take those things that you're laying aside, and I'm going to pray that he just fill you with life in this space. And you just hold your hands open just as a way of engaging with him in this moment. Lord, I pray for each person who knows there is something to be left behind, something to be let go of, that, Lord, you would take those things in this moment, that you would take them, and that, Lord, where those hands sit empty, that you would pour out life. You would pour out more of yourself. You would pour out more of the life you dream for that person. You'd lead them, you'd guide them, that, Lord, they would say, you know what, it may have felt painful at first, but on the other side of that, there was life that came that was like nothing else. It was better than a better life. It was eternal life. Lord, this doesn't happen on our own, and it's only possible because you're real, because you did die and rise again. And I pray you pour that resurrection life out on us. In Jesus' name, amen.